and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Hey, what's going on, Marshfield? How are you? All right. I was just... I was just making sure you were with me. Come on. <laughs> hey, I, I am so excited to be here. My name is Jason Isles. I serve as executive pastor. Um, I am based out of Republic. Man, it is an honor, though, to be on your stage. And uh, man, can we give it up for your pastors? Man, Mark, Abby, Josh, Macy, Ryan, Mandy, you guys do such an incredible job. And uh, man, you guys, I, I said it first service, I'm going to say it again. Y'all don't know how good you have it. These are such wonderful people. Um, it's important that we always honor and support and pray and encourage our pastors. You with me? I mean, drop them a text, shoot them an email, Facebook, whatever. Just, I mean, always encourage your pastors um, because, man, we, we're in the trenches for you. We're praying for you and we're believing God's going to do great things in your life, and uh, but it is my honor to be here today. Pastor Chad sends his best. If uh, I know uh, Pastor Mark mentioned probably uh, around the first of October, but uh, Pastor Chad was having a few issues with his heart, and uh, so uh, he we made him mandatory. This is the only time I've ever been able to tell Chad what to do because it felt kind of powerful. It was kind of cool, you know. But I, I told him, I said, you're not working in October. I said, you are going to go get your heart healthy, get, get, get some things in order um, for your health because we need you back healthy because um, there's people to reach. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, you know, as, he, as our lead pastor, just, just being able to uh, encourage and lead both campuses. But, man, Republic right now is a... I mean, it is growing unbelievably, I mean, the city, and uh, we need churches like Destiny Church who lead the way, and uh, so maybe praying for Pastor Chad, but he's doing well. Um, he uh, went hunting yesterday, and uh, I know he took Maddox. I think Maddox uh, got a pretty good deer, but Chad bow hunted the rest of the day, and I think he overdid it because he talked to me last night, and he's like, because I, I was trying to get him to come up here with me. I'm like, hey, come to Marshfield. He's like, I think overdid it yesterday. I'm not feeling too well. <laughs> so uh, he is resting and uh, just getting healthy. But man, again, I'm excited to be here. Um, how many of you enjoyed this series that uh, we are better together, right? Come on, have you enjoyed this in October? I have been in church my whole life. I'm 44 years old. Man, I, when I was a kid, I was under the pews playing Hot Wheels. That's how long I've been in church. Um, you know, because as a little bitty kid, we didn't have... We didn't have the great kids program that we offer. I mean, I was under the pews and, and goofing off, and and uh, but I, I I don't ever remember a a message that deals with unity within the body of Christ or a series. And so, man, this is this is very very exciting. I I, I love. I have learned. I've learned so much through this series, and I hope you have too. But. It's based on a prayer, and I'm going to read it to you, but, but it's based on this prayer in John chapter 17, this whole idea of unity within a body of believers. It's the last thing that Jesus prayed as he was meeting with his disciples. You know, he could have said a lot of things right there. There's a lot of things that probably were on his heart. You have to imagine he knows what's getting ready to happen. He knows that he is going to be crucified. And of all the things that he could have said, he drove home this whole point of you guys got to stay united. Stay 
united together as one. I want to read this for you in John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. Jesus prays to the Father. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. He's talking about us. He's talking about you and I. When he was praying this prayer, he was thinking about you. Not just the disciples, all of us that will ever believe in this message. He said, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, and that you are in me. Father, and I am in you. And he says, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. That's how the world's going to believe, that we remain united. I have given them the glory you have, give, you have gave me so that they will be one as we are one. I am in them and you are on me. It's like Jesus keeps circling back. I am in you. You are in me. Father, we are in you. I mean, this whole idea of being unified. And he says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Through this prayer, we've discovered a lot of truths about unity over the last few weeks. We learned that Jesus not only prayed that we would live in unity, but Jesus expects us to work hard at being unified. You know, when, 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 when we decided for Pastor Chad to just take a few weeks off, you know, as the executive pastor, I, I, I run the business side and run the HR side and, and do all of that. And I leaned really hard on Pastor Mark. I said, Pastor Mark, you've got to write this series because what we do is we're doing this exact same series in Republic. And I said, Pastor Mark, you got to write this series and then share all of your thoughts and your points and your scriptures. And so he did week one here. I did week one in Republic. I took Pastor Mark's message. Folks, I never got so many compliments on a message. Man, Pastor Pastor Jason, that was awesome. I said, yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> Come on. No, it was, it, it, it's just been great. And Pastor Mark, thank you so much for stepping up, leading the way in this, man. Awesome. This has been incredible. But Jesus prayed, that, or he expects us to work hard at unity. We're, we're reminded that our unity is one of the greatest witnesses to unbelievers, that, and God responds powerfully when we are unified. It also shows that when the church is united, everyone's needs are met. And we learned that the Trinity is our model, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, how they work together as one. And we also learned that we're just incomplete without each other. I need you and you need me. And that's how it works in the body of Christ. We are truly better together. So this week, we're going to close out this series, but I'm going to take a look, uh, just try to show you two topics. These are, these are two visible signs of unity that it, at first glance, man, how, how does this tie into us being unified? And I believe there's just incredible power and meaning in these two topics. And those two, two visible signs of unity are water baptism and communion. And we're going to talk about those two things today. And uh, um, I'm believing that God's going to speak to your heart. Maybe you'll discover some things about unity or these two subjects, baptism and communion, maybe that you've never discovered before. Jesus, 
God, we just pray right now, Lord, that you would open up our hearts, Lord, to receive this word. God, it's so important to you, Lord, that, that, that we are baptized. God, when, we, when we're saved, Jesus, it's so important, God, that we realize what this means and that we remember communion and what you did for us on the cross. We thank you for your presence that's already in this place that we have felt during worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was our example of baptism. In order for us to understand the reason for water baptism, it's important that we look at what the Bible says about it. Jesus himself was baptized, but think about this. He, he knew no sin. Baptism is for a sinner or for one who just recently repented, right? Right? But yet Jesus, he, he was baptized. Why? He didn't need to be baptized. He did it to set the example for you and I. He did it as an act of obedience. And, and I want to read this in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. It says, At this time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He was baptized by John. The moment he came out of the water, he saw the sky split and open, and God's Spirit, looking like a dove, come down on him. Along with the Spirit, this voice, you are my son, chosen and marked by my love. Wouldn't that be crazy that you're there? Number one, no one, no one. The, this whole idea of Christianity, this new guy Jesus is on the scene and he's preaching and he's saying that nobody comes to the Father except through me. And then this loud booming voice comes over and says, this is my son who I'm proud of. You know, when I was a freshman in high school, I was 14 years old and I went you know, through that change that all young men go through and my voice got extremely low. So low that if you if you know me, I'm, my my music's or my music my uh, background's always been music, and um, I, I sing in choir. I've I've led worship uh, at the Republic campus for years. I don't do that anymore. But I was in a '50s barbershop quartet, and I was man. I was I was 150 pounds, dripping wet. Man, I was at six foot three. I was skinny as a rail, but I had this loud booming voice and. Um, when we, during Easter time, we did an Easter musical. Anybody ever been a part of an Easter play or an Easter musical? Man, I did that, and my only part was to stand backstage with a microphone, and when they baptized Jesus, it was to go, this is my son whom I love. And I did that for a couple, two or three years. That was my only part in the play. And I remember like a couple of years later, our worship pastor at the time who was over the whole production, he said, hey, I had a part open up. I want you to do it. I still want you to be the God voice. He said, but I need you to play a, a, a disciple. I'm like, oh, great. I said, what, what is it? I need you to be Judas. He goes, you would make a great Judas. I said, what? You want me to be the voice of God and then you want me to be the guy that betrays God. That is just, that is messed up. But uh, I, I played both of those parts. They put like eyeliner on me, made me look like real sinister and all of that. It was a great time. I guess you had to be there. 
<laughs> but Jesus was our example of baptism. He did it not because he had to. He did it to show us to lead the way. Amen? You with me on that? Baptism is an act of obedience. We just mentioned that, but let me read this to you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. It's an act of obedience. Jesus asks us to do it. We, when we repent, when we turn away from our old life and we turn to Jesus, He asks us to be obedient and be baptized. Baptism is a declaration, and this is where we start tying this into unity here. It declares that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a public confession of your faith and your commitment to Jesus. It's the next step after salvation. And we do this through repentance and faith. It's an important foundation of living a life as a Christian. Let me read this to you in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. He says, Go into all the world, go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. Whoever believes and is baptized is saved. That's powerful. You are saved. When we give our life to Jesus, we're saved. Now, I'm going to get into here in just a second that baptism is not salvation. I don't know if you've ever been confused about that. Um, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But that is not salvation. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Jesus was our example of baptism. It's an act of obedience. It's a public declaration. Baptism is a move from death to life. It's a symbol of Christ's burial and resurrection. Our entrance into the water during baptism identifies us with Christ's death when he died. It's the old person that we were, we are, we are putting to death that old person. And when we come up out of the water, it signifies Jesus' resurrection. Because the Bible tells us that we are made new. In Jesus Christ. You know, I told Cameron when I have a 20-year-old daughter, Cameron, and a 17-year-old son. I baptized Cameron when she was about 10 years old. And so we were sitting on the couch one night, all four of us, my wife, the kids, and um, just talking, what, what is this whole meaning of, of baptism? I, I wanted, you know, I didn't want her to just be baptized because her friends were being baptized. I wanted it to mean something, you know. I wanted it to be a powerful moment. And I made a comment to her. I said, Cam, you, I said, the person that you were, were, were you know, that's no longer. You're, when you come out of that water, you're going to be a new person. And Cole, who was like six at the time, goes, Dad, is she going to look different? I said, no, buddy, he's, she's not going to look different. It's, you know, it's hard to explain to kids, you know, what, what all of that means. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. This is such a powerful verse. Listen to this. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection, God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. 
When you were stuck in your old sin, dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Listen, that, that's powerful. The whole significance of baptism in Christ. Both, came, both were resurrected. That's what it says. Right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Come on, does that get you excited? That excites me. That this, this person that I was, because the Bible says, for all have sinned and have fallen short. But through Jesus Christ, it's wiped clean. Brand new. It's a symbol. It mean, it's meant to show the world that you love, that you trust, that you have put your hope in Christ. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just a little bit of an illustration here. He helped me first service, but Pastor Josh, come up on the stage for me for a second. Love this guy. Come on, bud. So everybody knows Pastor Josh. Everybody, you know, the cool thing is about church is I know about you, you know about me, and here's the deal. Here's what I know about Pastor Josh, and I assume you know this as well, but I'm just going to ask, participate, entertain me for a second, okay? Is Pastor Josh married or single? He's single. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> He's single. All right, <laughs> I'm having I'm having things go through my head that I need that I'm not going to say. All right, he is single. We know that, okay. Um, so I'm just making sure we're all on the same page. But I'm going to I'm going to do something here, and then I'm going to ask you the same question. Okay, give me one second. All right. Now, I'm going to ask you again, is Pastor Josh married or single? But he's got a ring on. Are you sure? Okay, let me ask you this question. All right, I, Rochelle, some of you met her. Um, she was on call today. She couldn't make it for work. But I have been married. I am married and have been married uh, in February. It'll be 24 years. All right? So, thank you. All right? So I'm married. Everybody agree on that? Yeah. But wait, I don't have a ring on. Are you sure that I'm married? Are you positive? Because I don't have a ring on. Josh is single. He's got a ring on. Are you sure that he's single? You see, what makes me married is the commitment that I made in my heart to my wife. It's the covenant that I made to my wife. The piece of paper that I signed on the wedding day on the marriage license is a symbol. It's just a piece of paper. I guess in the IRS's eyes it means something, but it just it, it's just a piece of paper that sits in my safe deposit box. That's what it is. It doesn't make me married. The commitment and the covenant covenant that I made in my heart, that is what makes me married. And I did that in front of friends and family. Here's where we start talking about unity and what baptism is. Thank you, Pastor Josh. I did not propose, by the way. So the wedding ring is a symbol of marriage. It's not marriage. 
baptism is a symbol of Christianity, but that is not what makes you saved. I can be a believer in Christ, but not baptized, and my sins are still paid for if I confess with my mouth. That's what the Bible says. If I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and because I am married, I gave my heart to my wife. I really love my wife, so I want to wear my wedding ring because I want the whole world to know that I'm taken. I'm not available. In the same way, I have trusted Christ to save me from sin. I confessed with my mouth that He is Lord. I repented from my old, the old person I was. He is the Lord and the joy of my life. I want everybody to know about it. So baptism is a statement It's a statement to everyone who sees it, and they know that I have trusted Christ for my salvation, and I'm committed to living for Him, and I get baptized in front of friends and family. It's not something that we're supposed to do in private. We are supposed to be baptized with friends and family in unity so that I can celebrate with you so that I can give you a high five and say welcome to the family. Sometimes baptism is emotional for people. You know why? Because we may not understand what they just walked away from. We may not understand what the change that they had in their life, the prison that they lived in uh, of sin. I've seen people just break when they come up out of that water. It's powerful. And it's a huge, huge visible sign of unity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, and the old is gone. The new is here. In Romans chapter 6, he says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. If I could just wrap up baptism, here's what I want to say to you. Baptism does not make you a believer. It shows that you already are one. It's just a symbol, and it's a public confession that I'm choosing to live for Jesus. It's a powerful moment. It connects us to the body of Christ. It connects us to the people that that are like-minded in how we believe. It just gives this real sense of being joined with other believers. There's a reason that when we baptize, we do it in front of others. We don't do that in private. You can be baptized in private. There's nothing wrong with that. But man, I, I think we're missing the value if we did it that way. The value is to celebrate with everybody. So that's baptism. It's a huge sign, a visible sign of unity. I want to talk to you about communion for just a few minutes, and we'll move on today. I want to show you how the Passover meal, so what they did in the Old Testament, and some Jewish cultures obviously still still celebrate um, Passover. Passover was a feast. It was a celebration of how Israel came out of their bondage from Egypt. And I want to read how this was all set up in the Old Testament, and then I want to tie it into communion, into unity. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3 through 6. I want to read this to you today. 
It says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, that month was called Aviv. It was, the, it was considered the Passover month. That each man is to take a lamb uh, for his family, uh, one for each household. Now, I want you to catch this because this is going to start in the Old Testament. It's going to promote this whole idea of unity. Listen to this. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that are there. Man, that, that's... That's the first barbecue right there. <laughs> Come on, that's that's all that's us getting together and having a barbecue. This this is this is small groups. This is life groups. This is us doing life together because we are better together. The whole lamb had to be consumed. That's why. That's the main purpose of what God is saying here. So there could be no leftovers of this. It says, uh, if any household is too small for the whole land, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that are there. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in ordinance uh, with what each person will eat. Now listen to this. The animals that you choose must be one-year-old males without defect. You may take them from sheep or goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. So... We're going to gather on the 10th day, okay? And then we will, on the 14th day is when we make the sacrifice. So four days, that's key. We'll talk about that here in just a second. So one-year-old males without defect, um, sheep or goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all members of the community, community, there's another word, of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Now, this is our first example of unity, of when we're talking about the Passover meal, if a family were only two or three, the sense of that corporate um, involvement was lost. So smaller families combined to create larger groups. Come on, if you're in a life group, come on, make some noise. If you attend a life group, there's a few of you. How about freedom? Anybody in freedom right now? <laughs> Folks, let me tell you something. Between Marshfield and Republic, we have over 100 people that are going through freedom. And if you don't know, freedom is a, it doesn't matter if you've been saved one day or if you've been saved for 40 years. I've, I've been through it twice, and we did our freedom conference, which is coming up for all of you who are in freedom. There's a special conference just for you happening next weekend. I know Pastor Mark has probably been announcing that to you, but I'm telling you, every single person in this building needs to go through freedom. I'm just, trust me. It is is most life-changing thing I've ever done, and I have been a Christian for a long time. It is an incredible, incredible thing. But this whole idea of unity and community and small groups is promoted right here in Exodus chapter 12. And I want to look at how all this points to Jesus and how all of this points to communion. So the lamb to be sacrificed was got to be a male and unblemished. Why? Because... We are blemished, and we are not perfect. It took something. It took someone that had no sin to pay our debt. Amen? He was perfect without sin. He was un, 
unblemished. It had to be one year old. That's significant because one year old lamb was considered to be a, 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 a adult male and for the reasons of being able to reproduce. Let me explain this to you. Jesus was an adult male in the prime of his life. A one-year-old lamb was considered to be in its prime. Jesus began his ministry at about 30 years old, and he was crucified three days or three years later at the age of 33. If Christ is the perfect sacrificial lamb, then early to mid-30s would be considered the prime of their life. I'm 44. I guess I'm out of my prime now. That's okay. It's not about me. And I'm telling you folks, I I got a 20-year-old that moved out on her own last year. I've got a 17-year-old that that is going to college next year. I'm going to be an empty... I, I'm telling you, I'm scared to death. Y'all pray for me. If you're an empty nester, I'll take any advice. I'm telling you, it, it kind of scares me. I don't know what I'm going to do. But the lamb was inspected for four days. So it was gathered on the 10th day, and then it was, it was sacrificed on the 14th day. So four days it was inspected. Jesus comes to Jerusalem for Passover. He immediately goes to the temple, his father's house. The religious leaders conspired and they inspected him. They couldn't find any fault in him, but yet they still crucified him. Jesus, prime of his life, prime age, unblemished, male, inspected for four days. Do you see the parallels here? Jesus wanted to implement this whole idea of traditional Passover with himself as being the ultimate sacrifice it was prophesied about. A one-time payment for all sin. And he asked us to come together and in remembrance of him, what we know as communion, to do this with like-minded believers and do it together, not in private. Do it together. It wasn't meant to do alone. It's designed for you and I and other believers We could celebrate, remember, but also celebrate what Christ did for our lives. That's exciting to me. It symbolizes healing. It symbolizes restoration. It symbolizes forgiveness. Come on, today if you need a healing in your body, if you need to be restored, if you've got a family member that that maybe is running from the Lord, whatever you're walking through, whatever you brought into this uh, worship center today, Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants to give you hope. And I'm telling you, we got to be unified. Powerful things happen. Pastor Mark alluded to it. Powerful things happen when we are unified together. The Bible says if two or more are gathered and they agree on one thing, the Bible says that God is in our midst. He's with us. Whatever you need today, I'm believing with you. Because there's power in unity. There's power when we come together. That bread that was broken symbolized when Jesus took the bread and broke it, it symbolized His broken body, which is what He did for us when He was crucified. It represents that healing. It represents that we can become a new person when we accept Jesus. 
the juice symbolizes the new covenant that Jesus made. No longer would we have to sacrifice a lamb to atone for our sin. Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice, and now we go through him for eternal life. Amen? That's awesome. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask everybody to repeat a prayer with me. Because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe that he died and he rose from the grave for for your sin, for my sin, the Bible says we'll be saved. I'm not going to have people raise their hand or anything like that. I want you, everybody in the room today, to repeat this prayer with me. And if you pray this for the first time, or maybe you've walked away from the Lord, if you mean this in your heart, and the Bible says that you're saved, that you're now part of the family. And the best thing that you could do, obviously, we're going to be baptized. But man, tell us. We want to know. We want to get you too many times the church we, we, we pray this prayer of salvation and then now what? What do I do now? We want to get you started on the right path. We want to get you started uh, serving the Lord. Getting the Word inside your heart. Freedom is a big thing with that. Our freedom group. Baptism. Communion. And I, I just think God's going to do incredible things through your life. If you're first time and you've never prayed this prayer, pray it with me. If you've prayed this prayer a thousand times, Let's come together in unity and pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today realizing I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior. Would you come into my heart? Wipe the slate clean. Forgive me of my sin. And from this day forward, I choose to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand today. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or you rededicated your life, I want to be the first to congratulate you. Tell one of the pastors, we want to come alongside of you and we just want to help you as you start your walk with Christ. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to read what is known as what we read for communion. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. Then here's what we're going to do after that. The band's going to lead us in a worship song. We have a communion station there and one here. This is what I want to do to just promote this whole idea of unity. I want you during this song, I want you to come up and get your communion emblems. And I want you to get together with five, eight, ten people. We're going to pray for each other. If you need a healing, if you need some restoration in your life, if you're standing in the gap for somebody else, maybe you've got a, a, a child that's running from the Lord, whatever that's going on in your life. Can we come together in unity and pray for each other? And then you'll take communion. Somebody in the group can just lead that communion together. But I'm going to read this. And after I read this, the band starts playing. If we can move. Man, we had a powerful moment first service. And I'm believing that there's going to be an even more powerful moment this service. Amen. Let me read this to you. Paul says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
look at verse 33 real quick. Fast forward a few verses. Listen to this. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. We are better together, folks. I need you. You need me. We are incomplete without each other. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me 